The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Well, let me read for us from Psalm 125 as we continue our looking at the Psalms of Ascent. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hand to do wrong. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead, a, lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Uh, thanks for having me here today. It's good to be with you. Thank you, Stacy, for the, the invitation. Um, it's it just really good, really good to be here. I've enjoyed uh, looking at this psalm and thinking about it this week. This, the psalm that we're going to look at this morning is, uh, it really does speak to the security that, that we have as believers. And um, by way of introduction, I turned 50 years old this week on Wednesday, okay? And, uh, and I found it providential uh, that I've been studying this passage uh, this week and uh, kind of reflecting over my life, thinking about, you know, uh, the future. And um, it's also really made me think that I, um, as I've studied this psalm and thinking about security uh, that, and, and strength that God has to offer his people, and I, I really do think that I've spent an awful lot of my life feeling pretty insecure and, and struggling with insecurity. And Maybe, I, I, I'm sure I'm not alone in that. And um, anytime I get to quote an Avet Brothers song, it's a good day, and um, in a sermon. And so there's a great Avet Brothers line in one of their songs where it just says, I keep having this dream that I'm at a party and there are people screaming at me, telling me that I just don't belong. And I'll never forget the first time I heard that line, and I think, I think they just channeled every one of Kevin Teasley's fear, this fear that I just don't belong, um, that people don't want me there, and it affects, it permeates really every aspect of my life. Um, and in particular, it, 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 it impacts my relationship with God. Because what we learn in this passage is that God wants his people to feel secure in their relationship to him. And, and I don't think that I'm alone in my struggle because I think that there's something in every single one of us that just longs to be and to feel secure, okay? And um, the past, this psalm is known as, it's known as a song or a psalm of ascent. And it was a song that was sung by the Jewish pilgrims as they were making their way up to Jerusalem for the great religious festivals. They would do this once a year. My good friend and fellow campus minister, Kevin Twitt, one of the things he talks about that I really appreciate is he talks about how worship is formative to us. It, it forms you. It shapes you. That's what worship does. And for sure, that's what the songs that we sing, the hymns that we sing, 
They form us. They shape us. And this psalm, this song is something that the Lord wanted his people to sing because it was going to shape them and form them to be the kind of people that he wants them to be as his people, okay? And I think that the psalmist, he does an amazing job of entering into the mind of a pilgrim who's on his way up to Jerusalem. And he refers to Jerusalem here as Mount Zion, And Mount Zion is sort of like this exalted name for the city of Jerusalem and the the mountain that that Jerusalem is situated on, established on. Mount Zion. That's how the the psalmist was referring to Jerusalem that way. And it, it, Jerusalem, Zion, that mountain, it symbolized everything for the Jewish people. I mean, it was their world. Everything, it, it, all the promises, all the blessings, all the favor that God had for Israel is centered on this, on Jerusalem, on Mount Zion. And the psalmist does an amazing job of entering into the the mind of the pilgrim as he's making his way. And I've even wondered as I've studied this passage is if maybe the psalmist, like maybe he was making his own way to Jerusalem and he is so struck by the beauty and the majesty and the all, just the whole scene. He's just taking it all in. The, the grandeur, the glory of it all. And he just breaks into song. He's just so overwhelmed and he's so excited about what he's doing, where he's going. Overwhelmed. He just starts singing, right? And maybe he wrote it down or maybe somebody was listening thinking, we got to get this down, right? And um, he's so moved by the whole thing, okay? And the, if, if you were a pilgrim going to Jerusalem... Um, I have not been to Jerusalem, but according to commentators and people that I've read and people I've talked to that have been there, like if you're going to Jerusalem and the, the real climactic moment for these pilgrims would have been as they're coming over this hill and a lot of people think it's the Mount of Olives and it's when you come over this certain hill, that is your, the first glimpse you get of Jerusalem up on this mountain, okay? And... Um, it's this glittering city. It's made of gold. There's these high walls. And I, I, I've read descriptions about it, and it makes me think I, can, um, I can't imagine what it would have been like to be a child going with your parents and you see this city for the first time. Or even as an adult, to see all this for your, it would have been completely overwhelming, okay? And then not even, that's just the city, but dominating the skyline of Jerusalem higher than anything in the city was like this 200-foot-tall temple, okay? And it would have been a structure unlike anything that you had ever seen, made of gold, made of marble. It would have been glittering in the sun. The psalmist in Psalm 124, he just goes, I rejoice when they told me we were going to the house of the Lord. He was rejoicing. He was so fired up because it was that overwhelming. It was just that amazing to go to the temple, to go to the house of the Lord. And think about, I, I just, I read this, I've thought about this this week, meditated on this. It makes me think about like going to the Grand Canyon or if you've ever seen Niagara Falls. I, I, it made me think about the first time I'd ever been to New York City and I can remember coming up out of Penn Station and just absolutely overwhelmed by everything that was around me the buildings and the structure. It was just, it was so impressive. If you've ever been to Europe and been to some of the large cathedrals, I mean, and you tour those things, and it's just like beauty and majesty and glory is just reaching out to you 
to just take you in. And whatever that was for you, like whatever that moment for you was, like that's what the pilgrim felt as he was coming into Jerusalem, as they were ascending up to this great, amazing city, okay? And this was one of the songs that they would be singing as they approached Jerusalem. And like I said earlier, the Lord wanted them to be singing this song because, I mean, the journey itself is shaping them and forming them. Um, but also this song was shaping them and forming them. And there's three things that I, that I think were very important that were very formative for them as they were singing this song. And as God's people today, I think it's very important things for us because I think it's the same thing that God wants to be shaping and forming us today, okay? And one is just the secure position that we have um, as God's people. The second one is I want us to look at the challenge um, to that security. And then I want us to just look at the means of grace that God has given us to sustain our, us in our journey, okay? And so I, this, the secure position is what I want to talk about first of all. If you just look at verses one and two, Psalmist says, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. Again, you've got to enter into the mind of the pilgrim going there and think about what he's even reading, th thinking as he hears or sings these words, that those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. And it says, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. I just, I love that. And I have gotten so much comfort and so much encouragement from that description right there. I can't soak that in enough. This idea of the Lord surrounding me the way that those mountains surrounded Jerusalem, okay? Um, and he refers here to Zion and Jerusalem again. And like I said, Zion, Jerusalem, they're talking about the city, this physical location. But whenever the writers of the Old Testament, they write about Zion or Jerusalem, and this is even picked up by New Testament writers to describe the church. But Zion and Jerusalem, they are those are terms used to refer to God's people as they gather together, okay, as the church, Okay, it's an amazing thing that what he's doing right there. It's all over the New Testament. And so the, the pilgrim, the psalmist, he's coming into Jerusalem and he sees Jerusalem up on this large mountain, high mountain, and, but Jerusalem is surrounded by even higher mountains, okay? And, and in what has to be a moment of inspired brilliance, the psalmist realizes that those mountains that surround Jerusalem teach us an awful lot about the protection of God and the security that is on offer for us as his people. It is, I mean, it's such a beautiful image right here. Like what this is saying is that if you're here this morning and, and you have put your trust in God, that you are like this castle that has been set up on this really high mountain and it's not going to be moved. It's not going to be destroyed. Like, that's what's on offer here in this passage. The psalmist, I love it. He's so, and the pilgrim would have been like that. The, the, the pilgrim on his way, on his journey, which is symbolic, symbolic and illustrative of all of our journey towards the heavenly Zion, you know, towards the, our promised land. Um, it's amazing here. 
the psalmist was so overwhelmed by the glory, the grandeur, the majesty. And, and you know, like anytime you see something that huge and that massive, you start to really feel your own insignificance and your own limitedness and uh, your own uh, smallness, if you will. But in the midst of all that, the psalmist feels absolutely secure. Absolutely secure. I would imagine that the psalmist and the pilgrim would look at Jerusalem up on that, that mountain and just think, that has got to be the safest place in the world. There's not a safer place. I got to get there because I'll never be safer than if I'm in that city. And that, that's what the psalmist is picking up on. But the psalmist knows, and this is why this is penned for us. This is why this was sung. The psalmist knows that God wants his people to feel secure, to feel safe in his presence, okay? The, the qualification here that I really think is important to note, though, this isn't just on offer to anybody. This is what I mean by that. This security, this surrounding that is on offer, it's for his people, it says here. And who does it say his people are? His people are those who trust him, who have believed in him. God's people, according to this passage, are those whose trust is not in the mountains, not in Mount Zion, but their trust is in God, right? So for all of you here this morning who have put their trust in you, and this security is for you. This is what is being offered here. The God's people are referred to and described in different ways all throughout the passage. They're described as the righteous in verse 3. In verse 4, it talks about those who are good, those who are upright in their hearts. And I think, I read that and I kind of, I think about what to do with it because I just think I'm not very righteous. I'm not perfect by any means whatsoever. I don't even know if I'm very good on most days. Um, but what is being promised here, what the psalmist is praying is not that God will do good to his people because they are perfect, um, even if you look at verse three there at the end, you can realize, you see there that, that, yeah, those who trust in the Lord are like Zion, but our faith is pretty weak. We're still pretty weak people, okay? And at any given moment, we'll reach out our hand and take this scepter of wickedness that I'm gonna talk about in just a second. Um, but our security as believers, it's, it's based on who God is, and it's based on his character, it's the, and thankfully this is the case, it's the object of our faith that is important and not the strength of our faith. The emphasis, the emphasis on, in this passage is on who we are trusting more than the fact that we do trust. Because if you're like me, my faith is pretty weak and pretty small on most days, right? But thankfully it's not the size and strength of my faith, but it's the size and the strength of the God that my faith is in. Um, that's what's important. So it's not just this vague belief that God exists that he's talking about here. It's not even this belief that God is in charge of life in general, but this is talking about the kind of faith in God that trusts his promises, the promises that he has made to his people that you read about throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, um, the, the promises he's given in his word, the promises that show how much he cares for his people and how much he delights in his people. Um, that's exactly what trust is. It's believing that God has a special concern for even the minutest parts of our life and that he loves you and cares for you so much that he didn't spare his own son. 
for you, right? Belief in that promise. Like in, in Genesis chapter 15, it says that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And righteous is a word that's used to describe God's people throughout the Old Testament. Um, it's referred to even here in this passage. And it says that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteous. Um, he believed what God had told him, the promises that he had made. And as soon as he believed, righteousness was credited to him. You know that's exactly like us as believers. We have believed the promises of God, that God has sent his one and only son, and that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And guess what? As soon as you believe the promises of God, that he loved you that much, he cared for you that much, that he sent his son to die for you, as soon as you believe in that, guess what? Just like Abraham, righteousness is credited to you. It's unbelievable, okay? And then we think about the promises that God has made through the Apostle Paul, things like where he says, listen, if God didn't spare his own son for you, why do you think he'd not give you everything else that you ever need, right? Believing, that, trusting in God and his promises like that. Um, but what we see here in chapter, in ver, the, my second point that I wanna make is there's a challenge that we see here to our faith and to the security that we can have as believers. And, and that is the scepter of wickedness that the psalmist talks about. It says, the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous. The scepter is this symbol of power in the king's hand, okay? And apparently there's wickedness in the high places in Israel, okay? And you, you know this, is that when wickedness is reigning, especially amongst our leaders and in the culture, it starts to have this real corrosive effect, even on believers, as this passage says, even on the righteous. And, and it's only a matter of time before even the strongest of believers with all the evil and unrighteousness out in the world, um, it's only a matter of time before a believer even would reach out the scepter of wickedness and do things that he, never, he or she never considered to be acceptable, okay? And you see this little added protection that God has given to his people. God doesn't want that to happen. He is going to ultimately obliterate evil in this world. It says here he's going to lead those who do evil astray. He's going to get rid of evil in the land, and even that is a protection of his people so that we don't reach out and grab that scepter of wickedness, okay? Um, amazing protection that we see right here. Um, God, this passage is teaching that God is not going to intolerate the evil in this world. He's not going to, intoler to tolerate the injustice in this world. Um, and as we look out at the world, I mean, it's no... I mean, you can just see signs of corruption and fallenness and brokenness everywhere. Um, God is saying in this passage, I've got this. I'm going to deal with this. And it's all part of his protection of his people. The last thing I wanted to highlight here from this passage, and this is just how can we cultivate this, this trust in us, what the psalmist is encouraging us to do, and I think God, by encouraging his people to sing this psalm, is he wanted to make sure that his people were cultivating this, these big views of him, okay? And I want us to think about just the question is, how is this security formed in us? How can we form these big views of God that enable us to be sustained on our journey as pilgrims in this world, as we journey for the promised land? And a couple of things that I want to highlight there. The one thing that we need is we need each other. You've got to have community, okay? 
in this journey, for you to be encouraged in your faith, for you to become, be shaped and formed in the kind of people that God wants you to be as his people, you gotta have each other. You need community. You need the church. You need God's people. You and I, I've, you cannot do life on your own. You need each other so that we don't reach out our hand and grab that scepter of wickedness, right? We need each other in each other's lives. Um, you know, this is one of the reasons why in RUF, we always, as a campus minister all these years, I always would encourage students, you need to get involved in RUF or some Christian community on campus. Because let me tell you what, college is gonna eat you up. And you need other Christians around you. You need God's people around you, people who are, want to do good, people who are, try, who are on the same journey that you're on, okay? You need this in your life. Otherwise, you're, you're gonna get eaten up in this. And even in RUF, we were always telling students, and one of the things we're trying to do in RUF is give students a life of t a taste of what life in the church is all about. You need the church in your life. You need this community. You need each other, okay? The, the last thing that I'm just gonna say here is in cultivating a big view of God to sustain you on this journey is you've gotta look at the glory of God. You've gotta understand how big he is. There's this great passage that I wanna read in 2 Corinthians chapter three. The apostle Paul is trying to encourage the Corinthian church not to lose heart. And that, if you know anything about the Corinthian church, it was a mess, okay? And um, there was all kind of bad things going on there. And the apostle Paul, he tells them this. He says, listen, we, the church, God's people, beholding the glory of the Lord, or being transformed into the image of God from one degree of glory to another. What Paul is saying right there is, is you, wanna, you wanna be transformed? You want the glory of God, telling these pilgrims even, you want the glory of that temple to start to pass into you? You know what, you need to behold that glory. You need to look at him, look at Jesus, look at his glory. I would tell, and, and the more that you do that, as Paul says, from one degree, degree to another, you start, that glory starts getting into you and you start to become and look more like the glory of Jesus just by looking at him, beholding him. That's what we're doing here this morning in worship is we're pointing everybody to him, right? So that some of that glory will start to get into us, right? That's what's taking place right here. I would tell college students all the time, are you having a hard time believing? Are you, are you having a hard time trusting right now? Are you... Look, just go pick up your Bible and read it. Read this, just go read some stories of Jesus and let those stories just start to wash over you. It will transform you. It will shape you. It will draw you closer to him. Behold the glory, right? That's, and that's what we're doing as we come to the Lord's table right here. And guess what else? We're, we're doing it together in community as we're on this journey. Amen? Let me pray. Um, Father, I pray that just some of the beauty of this song would, would get into our hearts, that you would remove the veil of our hearts and just help us to see what this psalmist was seeing when he penned these words and when these pilgrims would sing it as they were on their way to Jerusalem. Because just like these pilgrims, uh, we are pilgrims in this world and we are on our journey bound for the promised land the land of your son and of his glory. And so would you fix our eyes upon him?
him and his promises held out for us in the gospel, even held out for us in this meal. I pray in his name. Amen.